Hello, and welcome to the Justice and Coffee podcast. The podcast where we talk justice over coffee with a special guest. And this week, I had the pleasure of talking with practicing UK barrister and founder of the Malawi Bail Project, Charlotte McKenzie. Charlotte is a South London girl who studied law in her spare time before pursuing a career as a barrister. And after what was supposed to be a six-week legal internship in Malawi, age 21, she decided to start an organisation to help the many wrongfully incarcerated people of Malawi. It's an amazing story. So, you know what to do. Grab a brew. That rhyme was unintentional. And listen in to my interview with Charlotte McKenzie. But one thing I haven't noticed is, are you drinking coffee at the moment? Yeah, I am. Excellent. In that case, we can begin. (laughs) Charlotte, welcome to the Justice and Coffee podcast. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's a shame that we just do this audio, like we don't record a visual, because you just showed me your coffee cup mug and it looked quite exotic. It had a bit of animal print on there and everything. Yeah, well, it's it's Malawian. It's from Dead to, Dead to Pottery in Malawi, which is, you know, where you get your mugs from. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so like all podcasts, uh, all people we, we, we interview, we ask them the same opening question, which is, it's got to be about coffee. Are you a coffee drinker? How do you drink your coffee? What coffee do you go for? Take your pick. Um, yes, I am a coffee drinker. Uh, I would say if I had lots of time, you know, if it's, a, you know, Saturday morning, no, like toddler screaming, um, you know, I'd get my Malawi beans, grind them up, you know, cafeteria on the hob, lovely, full fat milk, delicious. Um, but my reality today is... Um, I, I I feel I feel nervous even saying this, but I have a, one of those pod machines, you know, the, the espresso pod machines. I know, I know, but they it is um, they are recyclable pods, and um, you know, in my defence, I just if I need coffee quickly and it's hot, it's really great. They but, are, um, yeah, they're very convenient, aren't they? Those pod, I know, pod but machines. But I can feel you judging me through, yeah, through the screen. I'm judging um, you hard, but you did say um, you had Malawian coffee. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Mizuzu. Um, uh, yeah, a friend actually came. Over, somebody came over from uh, Malawi a couple of months ago. They brought me back some. So, um, yeah, it's really delicious. It's great. That's amazing. I've never tasted Malawian coffee before, so that's something I'll have to look out. Yeah, for. well, I've got. I'll have to send you some. That would be great. I should have sent you some in advance of this. My <laughs> my bad for not doing that. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, we've brought you on here. I want to hear all about the Malawi Bail Project. It's a fantastic organization I've recently become aware of. But I want to get back to the start, wherever you consider the start to be. But where that that mustard seed, that that grain first took root where where do you think that your your pursuit of justice in whatever auspices it's turned out to be where do you think that that first began um 
I think probably, I mean, I had, so I, I grew up in, I grew up in Croydon. I had quite a lot of experience with the police, not personally, I should say, not me personally, but I had quite a lot of, you know, experience of witnessing police action uh, on the streets. And I, um, I think when I was about 15, I was at a sort of youth club uh, and we had some older teenagers come along and they sort of smashed everything up. And, you know, luckily no one was sort of seriously injured, but afterwards the police came and sort of interviewing everyone. Um, and there was a group of us, uh, and one of my friends was part of the group being questioned and sort of he was taken off to the side uh, and it was quite clear to see that the sort of tone of the questioning and, and what was what was happening had changed. Um, my friend was black. For me, it was quite clear to me that that was the reason that he had been taken separate from us. Um, there was just no other reason for it. And, you know, I went over and asked the reason why he'd been separated out. Obviously, there was no answer. It's quite clearly his race. Um, and, you know, I was sort of, I, I just became very frustrated. You know, I was asking for their sort of police badge number, you know, writing things down, you know, taking a note. Um, and yeah, so I guess it was just a, my first sort of real experience of, I guess, unfair treatment, you know, rather than some injustice. But um, yeah, after that, I, I was very interested in the law. They didn't offer it at my school as an A-level. So I went to Croydon College and studied law in the evenings in addition to my other a-levels at school oh um, wow so you did yeah, that outside that of your you did that outside of your studies yeah on a Thursday evening I think on Saturdays and the weekends yeah um so it was like an additional a-level but I just wanted I was just interested in it and obviously it, it stuck so <laughs> that's remarkable and and uh I can picture that as an ex-police officer I can picture that 15-year-old girl demanding my collar number and uh, <laughs> challenging me. Very good. That's amazing. So so this young teenager from Croydon, I used to live in South Norwood, just up the road for, for several years. So I know where we're talk what you're talking about. That how did you go from that to I haven't introduced you properly on this podcast, but you're now a practicing barrister. Uh, yeah. so so connect connect those two parts of your life for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I didn't have um, anyone really in my family or sort of, you know, family friend group who was in the law. Um, so I didn't really have, you know, a reference point. Uh, one of my mum's friends knew somebody who was a, a barrister and um, she very kindly um, would meet me on a, on a Saturday and, um, you know, help me with my the law course that I was doing. And um she was she was a real uh mentor for me actually but she was my only she was my only reference point and she was you know it's nice to have sort of female barrister to sort of see you know what she was doing and, and where I could go and then uh yeah I was I went to Exeter University and studied law and then came back to London afterwards and I completed the bar course um and so I finished the bar course when I was 21 and then you can apply for pupillage which is the sort of 12 month training period before you become a barrister so you have to apply to a chambers usually and it's pretty competitive to actually get the pupillage uh, and so I applied you know to lots of chambers thinking sure you know I'm going to become a barrister at 21 this is this is that will absolutely happen and uh yeah I did not get <laughs> I did not get uh I don't think I even got interviewed that first round I think I just you know didn't get anywhere and so I thought well I can sort of stay here and, and get, you know, a paralegal job or something in London, you know, something vaguely legal related, uh, and then apply next year, or I can see what else is, is out there. So uh, I applied to uh, 
the inner temple. So I don't know if you you probably don't know, so it's quite a sort of niche area, but when you become a barrister, you have to join it in a court. There are four inns of court, uh, mine is inner temple. Um, and they, they offer scholarships for, for various things, but the scholarship that I applied for was to either study or work in a different jurisdiction. And uh, yeah, that I applied to go to Malawi for four weeks and work with a paralegal-led NGO, drafting bail applications uh, in prisons. And yeah, that's how I ended up in, in Malawi. <laughs> Amazing. So you're 21 years old. You've graduated University of Exeter with a degree in law. You're, you're searching for your first placement. You've passed the bar. That's no small achievement, as I understand. <laughs> and uh, and you end up taking this opportunity four weeks in Malawi. What did you know about Malawi before you before you went out there? Um, absolutely nothing. I, I was completely naive. It's just ridiculous. I, I Looking back now, it's just unbelievable. I mean, obviously, my parents and sort of grandparents at the time were not were not I would say they weren't supportive, but they certainly weren't happy about me going to work in prisons in, in Malawi. Uh, but I had I it was I think when I was studying at Exeter, I had a human rights lecturer and she had I remember at the time she'd sent something around about this organization. Like I thought it was really interesting and I contacted them. And they sort of said, it's actually Victor Mahanga, who is the executive director of, of CREA, which is the organization at the time. He sort of emailed me back and said, Thanks, but you know, we need people with experience. You don't, you haven't even finished your degree yet. Sorry, you know, but uh, we're not really interested. Um, and so then, when the opportunity for the scholarship came up, I I thought of them again, um, and they were more interested in, in my health at that stage. And uh, sorry, sorry, <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> I think it was just like what what did you know about Malawi before you? Oh ended? yeah, yeah, fine. So that's when you about prayer. Okay. I don't know if I answered that. Probably not. <laughs> so what? What? Um, like, what can you tell us for those people that might know of Malawi as an African country, but but little else besides that? What? What are the highlights? Maybe some of the great things about Malawi, and maybe some of the less great things. Perhaps the things why you were you were working there in a legal capacity. Yeah, so I mean, Malawi is known as Africa for beginners um, mm. because it's you know it's just it's it's such a great place. Everybody's so friendly. It's known as the warm heart of Africa. Um, yeah, the people are just wonderful, so welcoming. Um, and uh, you know, even when I first started working with with Acrea, you know, as I said, I was a twenty one year old girl from you know I, I really had very little legal experience. Um, you know, probably didn't have that much to offer, but you know, they they just they just showed me everything. You know, they took me to prison the first day I was there. You know, in, in speaking directly with prisoners, it was, you know, they were yeah, welcoming is just really how I can I can describe Malawi. I mean, I the 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 downsides of of, of Malawi for me are related to the the, the legal system um, and the treatment of, of prisoners, and I, I wouldn't say I mean there's there is definitely a culture of of police corruption mm. uh, and and you know there has been historically a culture of corruption in you know within the government but you know generally the sort of activities and, and the project work that we do and that CREA does is very well received by police officers by magistrates by you know stakeholders in the justice system because they are overwhelmed and underfunded. You know, when I talk about the treatment of prisoners, you know, the big problem in, in Malawi is, is in, in sort of the legal system is prison overcrowding. So 
uh, Malawi has a population of I think over 20 million now and its prison population is, is relatively small. Um, it's about, I think, around 15,000 people in, in prison. Um, that doesn't include those that have been arrested and detained at police stations, which they're also large numbers, but it's very difficult to sort of track the numbers of those people. So it's a fairly small prison population, but the system just wasn't built to hold that many people. I mean, Chichiri Prison, which is, I think, the second largest prison in Malawi, it's in the sort of southeastern region where we work um, and is the sort of main prison where we work. That prison was built to hold 800 people uh, and it normally holds between sort of 1,500 and 2,000. So when I was there, cells that were built to hold sort of 60 to 80 people are holding over 200. Um, and, you know, the wow. reality of the reality of that is <clears throat> that, you know, people you know, when they go in of an evening, you know, around six o'clock to, you know, for the night, you know, it, it's it's like sardines. People are just lying, you know, next to each other. Um, they might have some around the wall, around the side of the cell, but everybody else is sort of, and they just have to turn um, at night, you know, when everybody turns and sort of your um, status in the prison will determine, you know, where you are in the cell. You know, obviously if you if you've been there for, for a longer time, you might get a sort of place around the outside versus if you're sort of, You've just been, you know, arrested and 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 thrown into Chiri. You're going to be in in the middle of the, in the middle of the cell where it's where it's really rough. And the, I mean, in terms of sort of there, there's into Chiri. There there used to be when I was there two showers for you know only two thousand men. It's 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 it is inhumane. It is degrading. But as I say, that the you know the people that are working in the system are really um, they do really want the help. Um, and they do really want to work with CREA and work with us because our aim is to, you know, reduce the unnecessary detention of, 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 of people. And uh, they're open to that. So I, b- before I ask my next question, you mentioned CREA a number of times now. So I just want yeah. you to spell it out. What does CREA yeah. stand for? Yeah, so um, CREA, so they're the Centre for Human Rights, Education, Advice and Assistance. Um, and they are the paralegal-led uh, NGO that I went to work with initially in Malawi, and that's where the Malawi Bell Project came from. So the project was sort of built in collaboration with them in, in 2012. So 2012 was when you were still young, right? This was when yeah. you, you were 21 years old, you yeah, took your, yeah. your, your internship. And uh, you've gone from Exeter, London, Croydon to Malawi, <laughs> and I can only imagine going into prisons and witnessing the scenes that you've witnessed like as someone who clearly has a sensitivity to injustice that that must have been quite an overwhelming experience like how did you feel emotionally how did that affect you yeah it definitely was overwhelming and it became quite clear you know, very quickly that I wasn't going home after four weeks. You know, I, I, I didn't feel able to sort of ha- have seen what I'd seen and, and just say, okay, yeah, I'll just hop back on the plane to London and just get on with my life. It was, you know, it, it, it's changed, it's changed my life completely. You know, I, one of the prisoners who I met in those early weeks um, was um, somebody called Boxton, who was at the time awaiting trial. So he, 
I think when I met him, I think he'd probably been detained for six years, still awaiting trial. So, you know, he has, hasn't been convicted. He's just, he's just on remand. Um, and he was on remand for, for homicide, so, you know, serious, serious crime. Um, but, you know, six years waiting for trial um, is, it, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't understand it. He uh, was acquitted. Um, after I think seven, nearly eight years. And when he came out, he wanted to train as a paralegal. Uh, he wanted to help others who had, you know, were suffering the injustices that he had. And then he, we helped him to do that. Um, and he now works under the Bail Project as, as a paralegal, going into prisons and helping others because he felt very strongly that he wanted to give back after that. But he was one of the people that I met and, and he had a huge impact on me. I know he has on, on others because of his just ability to remain positive in that situation. You know, I would have been incredibly just, I don't know how I would feel, you know, just whether I would still be able to, you know, continue after, after six years, I, I don't know. Um, and so he had a huge impact on me. Amazing. Is, I mean, I, you just talked about Boxton's case that he was in pre-trial detention for six years and the conditions you described are horrendous like it can it be the case that people just never make trial because under those conditions they they die or are killed or or, or am I being yeah. too dramatic no no not not at all I mean you know there are obviously when you're in in conditions like that infectious disease is is rife um and you know some people just don't make it I mean, there was there was um, I know that uh, MSF had a had a base in Chichiri Prison um, until quite recently, and MSF being Doctors Without Borders. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yes, sorry, yeah, um, and uh, and you know they they had really helped, and and Crea had really helped in terms of trying to separate out people if they did have you know, an infectious disease to separate them out from others. But it's it's just very, very difficult. Um, and, you know, a lot of people may be innocent, uh, you know, and, and just awaiting trial and, and may not make it uh, make it to, to, you know, to their trial date. I mean, the, the infectious disease is one thing, but, you know, malnutrition is, is a huge is a huge issue. I mean, they in Chichiri, you get fed twice a day. If you're lucky, you know, you might get a sort of a, a bowl of you know um sort of porridge like a maize based you know dish and, and maybe some beans um but they rely on family members to visit uh, and bring and bring food because otherwise you know it's just it's just not sustainable and and that's how you know i think is important to remember is that the majority of prisons we work with are are men because it's it's majority um, the majority of prisoners in Malawi are men. There are, I think, around 300 female prisoners, but it's a, you know it's a very small number. But their imprisonment affects you know their family, their community. You know if 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 you know children have to leave school so that they can you know travel with with their mother to go to the prison to bring bring food, um, or they have to start work at a young age to try and fund you know for to pay for a private lawyer, which is just you know unaffordable for most people. So it, it, it doesn't just affect the person that's imprisoned, it, it affects their family and, and communities and, and ultimately, you know, Malawi as a whole. And that's, that's why it's sometimes difficult to sell, you know, what we do as important because it's very difficult to, you know, relate to a male prisoner in Malawi. But it, mm. it, it's so much bigger than that. Yeah, you know, I was going to ask that. And I haven't given you an opportunity yet to really... <laughs> 
give us an understanding of the Malawi Bow project and how it works and, and what you do. But I was one of my questions was going to be like from a fundraising point of view or for raising support. If you're talking about adult African men in jail helping those, do, is that does that is that a challenge? Does that become a difficult issue for fundraising? How, what's your experience been like of that? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's hugely challenging. I mean, the the bail project, the focus is to you know reduce overcrowding, but really it's it's an access to justice project. It's an education project. You know, we want every person who is is detained or arrested and go through a police station or a court holding cell to have access to our materials about you know how to apply for bail. Um, and the question inevitably comes, you know, well, what if you're releasing somebody uh, on bail who's you know who's who's violent or who who is an offender um and you know it's a different it's a difficult question i mean we we do we target sort of the whole process so we also run trainings for magistrates and police officers to make sure that the decisions on bail um you know are are grounded you know that they're they're are grounded in law you know they're 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 the right they're making the right decisions um they're looking at the, the, the various factors they're looking at you know, if they have community ties, if they have been a previous offender, you know, the sorts of factors you would consider in a bail application. So we want that to be done properly to safeguard against, you know, the risk that, you know, people are out on bail if they have already, you know, committed offences. But I, I want to stress that the, the, the majority of people that we assist um, have been arrested for um, minor petty offences, you know, crimes that are normally committed if they have been committed out of poverty, you know, stealing food to feed your family, those sorts of things. There's there's huge numbers of people in Malawi that are detained um, under sort of old laws, colonial laws, you know, that were that were that that just haven't been removed. Um, you know, rogue and vagabond is what is 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 a is a law that 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 was in place that Crea took you know to to the to the High Court to challenge and say you know this this law is it's unconstitutional and because it's such a wide law and it means that lots of people can be detained mm. uh, just for, you know, Malawi is a poor country. Lots of people are walking the streets without, you know, much, you know, much to do. And, and, and it gives the police huge powers to arrest and then charge for bail, which they shouldn't because police bail is free, um, but they charge to, to, to be released. It's a great tool as well for police officers that are looking to score bribes. It's a, if, if there's a good knowledge community knowledge that you can end up languishing in pre-trial detention before you even get your day in court before you even get to challenge the evidence that's being held against you you could spend years incarcerated yeah and that it gives the police a huge tool for, for to to elicit bribes if, you know, from a, a, a sort of for that leverage well i'll just arrest you and uh, under some antiquated law like being a vagabond and uh, unless you pay me you know i'll drive you around until you can find the money and then i'll let you out the car if you don't find the money you're off to prison buddy um yeah. wow that is that's that's incredible and you you mentioned access to a lawyer like do does malawi have a public defender program are there free uh, lawyers available I, I i take it there aren't or if they are there are very few but what's the situation with that yeah so there there is a, a legal aid um department but there are such a, a small number of lawyers i mean when i was working there there were i think around 20 lawyers the legal aid departments sort of in the whole country um and so it's just not feasible for them to take i mean they take on the you know the very serious cases 
um, that they get assigned. But, you know, for your average person um, who's, you know, arrested under maybe a, a, a law like, you know, rogue and vagabond, uh, idle and disorderly, something like that by the police officer, I mean, you're just never going to see, you would just never have access to a lawyer. And, and, and the reality is that, you know, you could be arrested for something like that if you don't know that you have the right to bail, if the police don't tell you you have the right to bail, if when you get into court, the magistrates don't say, do you want to make a bail application? Um, you can end up in Chichiri. Your wow. case file is is lost. It's forgotten. And, you know, two and a half years later, you might, you know, you might have someone from Crea uh, come across you and say, well, hang on, you've been here for two years. Your, your remand warrant's expired. Um, you know, let's do something about that. So we we want to intervene, um, you know, at an early stage before somebody ends up in prison, because once somebody is in prison, it's very difficult to to get back out again. One of the things we were mentioning was these long periods in pre-trial detention. And I can't remember exactly, but I'll take a stab at it. And you can you can correct me as a trained barrister in, in the UK legal system. But so with PACE, the Police and Criminal Evidence Act, we have 24 hours to basically charge or release. And it can be extended. And there might be people going, no, it's changed, Brilliant, it's changed. But when I was in the police, we had 24 hours to charge or release, or bail, or I think what they now say is released under investigation or pending further investigation. That can be extended to 36 hours under certain conditions. So like major cases like murders or rapes, they can make an application. We can make an application to the courts to extend bail. And under terrorism, under the Terrorism Act, we can... Uh, there's, you, know, you can extend that bail a little further, but we're talking about a matter of days. We're not talking about weeks or months or or any period of indefinite period like like what you've described. What is the law in Malawi then that you're trying to educate people to? What what are their rights of of being released under bail? Yeah, so um, Malawi has, you know, similar to the UK, the, the custody time limits exist. They are there. Um, they're just not really complied with. And nobody's there to challenge it. You know, in, in the UK, you would have a, a, a barrister. Well, at the moment, you don't because criminal barristers are on strike in the UK. What? Uh, <laughs> are you? Oh, you're not a criminal barrister at the moment. I'm not. I'm not on strike. I'm. 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 I'm a family barrister. I. I. When I started pupilage, I did practice in crime, but it just wasn't financially sustainable for me. I mean, obviously, I was interested in in family law as well, and that's ultimately where my practice has has led. But but yeah, it just wasn't financially sustainable, and that was in you know 2015, 2016. I mean, it's just even worse now. So you know, very supportive of of strike and hope that uh, the new Justice Secretary Brandon Lewis uh, has some uh, agrees to meet with the Criminal Bar Association, which Dominic Raab did not. Um, but rant over on that. Um, you know, you should have access to to uh, a barrister who would challenge. You know, if there's been a breach of the custody time limits, um, and be making an application for bail. But because you know, Crayer estimate that ninety percent of the people going through the criminal justice system in Malawi won't have access to a lawyer at any stage. Um, it just doesn't. Wow. It just doesn't get challenged. That's huge. Ninety percent of the people going through the criminal justice system in Malawi don't have access to a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Because they can't afford it. You know, private private lawyers are hugely expensive. And you know, what one of the problems that we have and that we address in sort of our trainings with 
um, with magistrates in particular is that sometimes we will have, if somebody perhaps has had access to our materials and has asked for bail, um, and a magistrate has considered that application properly and, and granted bail, but they've they've said there needs to be a surety or a sort of a, there's a monetary condition attached, and they say, okay, well, um, you can have bail if you can pay, you know, thirty thousand quatcha, and you know, someone might not earn thirty thousand quatcha in, you know, in a year. How would that transfer to sterling? So, I mean, I don't know the exact exchange rate today, but I'd say thirty thousand. It's it, you know, it's it's around thirty pounds. Wow. Um, and they wouldn't earn that in a year. No, you know, it's it's, you know, it, depending on it might be somebody who's who's unemployed. It might be somebody who does what's, what's referred to as piecework, which is, you know, where they pick up work sort of day by day, um, you know, earn the money, spend that on food and then then start the next day. So the idea that somebody would have savings of that amount, you know, let alone the ability to to access that. So we we focus in our trainings on means assessments, you know, magistrates asking questions about somebody's. Um, employment status you know their savings etc before saying that you can have bail if you can pay this when it's just not not feasible for somebody to pay that so so let's have it then let's have the malawi bail projects approach you've mentioned training magistrates but give me that yeah. what are you here's the problem we've heard about the problem like how are you going about creating some sort of a solution or addressing that problem yeah, so we focus firstly on education. So we have um, booklets, sort of how to apply for bail, um, which is sort of majority sort of pictures um, because of the low literacy level in Malawi um, and, and some text. Um, and then we also have audio tapes uh, that are played at police stations and court holding cells, um, which give information about you know what bail is and how to exercise that, that right. And uh, we also have um, a programme with, a group of ex-prisoners called Nkokwe Arts Group, um, who were previously in, in Chichiri. They were a drama group there. Um, and after release, um, they continue to do theatre performances um, as really as a form of rehabilitation. But, but also it's, it's, uh, it's employment because uh, we pay them a sort of stipend for each performance. Um, and Kreya uh, and, and, uh, and I have worked with the group to develop a play a performance about the consequences of crime um you know what can happen if you end up being arrested by the police how to deal with police corruption um and what bail is um and these performances are done in sort of community areas in marketplaces um and it's it's unbelievable watching these performances you know sometimes we get audiences of you know 500 600 people wow. just crowding around filming it on their phones um you know just kid you know children like so it's it's so engaging it's so interactive and it just means that we're able to get important sort of legal information across in a really fun and accessible way and so that as well as it is a good way of sort of educating communities on on their legal rights we we focus on as we've already spoken about some trainings of magistrates and police officers so police officers in Malawi have sort of six months mandatory training they they don't have any sort of really specialist training on on issues you know such as bail or or you know corruption um, we focus on on junior officers we do invite more senior officers to our training but we focus my um, focus at the moment is on junior officers, so student police officers, because we hope that sort of the new officers, you know, coming up, if they're trained, you know, in sort of anti-corruption, that it's sort of, you know, filter filter through. 
um, uh, it's obviously more difficult to deal with sort of some of the senior officers who have been, you know, practicing corruption for, for a very long time. So we we have yeah we have training sessions. They're sort of uh, group exercises. We um, where we where we look at you know case studies and what you should do in sort of situation. Um, it seems a fairly basic you know premise that you shouldn't uh, torture somebody <laughs> you know in in your in in detention. You shouldn't be you know beating up anyone. But you know these these sorts of, of things develop within within the police system when there's nobody there you know when they're looking up to senior officers who might have been doing this practice for a long time it's it's something the idea of human rights is quite new uh we also train magistrates so i've already spoken about about actually how to exercise their discretion in relation to bail applications um, and again lots of magistrates you know whilst they might be experienced um there's different grades of magistrates um, and sort of the lowest grade, they don't even have to have a sort of secondary school education. Um, mm-hmm. So, so they, you know, they themselves um, may, may lack the sort of, you know, the knowledge of, of in, in relation to, to those specific bail issues and, and the wider issues surrounding bail. And then finally, we have, we have a toll free line, which is manned 24 seven by the paralegals at Crea. So um, we have some phone handsets that can be accessed at police stations um, to call Crayer and, and sometimes we get calls from officers you know who ask for us to come and help you know they've got cells filled with people um, and they're not sure how to you know how to process each case or they might have uh, you know somebody that's you know a 12 year old or a 13 year old or there's somebody they think is even younger and they want Crayer's advice about you know how to deal with sort of the juvenile in, in the system so the those are the sort of the main activities that we have in communities with the public and with magistrates and police officers. But the final um, sort of activity that we run um, is something called a camp court. Uh, and that is where we bring a magistrate to the prison and they run a court literally from inside the prison. Um, so CREA will identify the most sort of vulnerable remandees um, and, and bring them forward um, for, the, for the camp court. And then a magistrate can consider sort of 15 to 20 bail applications in, in a session uh, and normally between 10 and 15 of those are granted um, because they're, you know, the prosecution don't have a case really uh, to put forward. Um, but those are our main, yeah, Amazing. that's our main focus. Amazing. Um, so with what you're doing, what's the political reception like for it? I mean, I can see it both ways. Some people might can think wow they're taking prisoners out of jail they're these lawyers are disrupting the criminal justiceism but really if anyone would take the time to listen it sounds like you're doing them a huge favor if there's that level of overcrowding if they're arguably in breach of 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 people's well not arguably quite clearly in breach of people's yeah. human rights there i know that malawi are a member of the united nations human rights council what's the yeah what's how is it politically received what you're, you're doing what Cray are doing yeah i mean i think it, it's it's as you said really i mean they they there is a problem um and we're helping to address it you know the people are detained either unnecessarily um but most of the time unlawfully um, and, you know, we're just inter- intervening at an early stage to really prevent that from happening. So it's, as I said, we've, we've had, you know, the CREA itself is, is a very well-respected organisation within Malawi, um, but in, internationally as well. Um, and uh, 
they are they are respected by not only communities but also stakeholders, judges, magistrates, you know, police officers. People are always keen to be involved in in the trainings uh, and assist in any way they can. So I think the the reception of the project is really down to to Crea's work and just it's just it they're such dedicated individuals and they uh, they just they just want to deal with uh, injustice in a fair way. I'm going to wrap up now with the same questions I ask every guest, which is with all that you've described, with all that you've shared today, I want to hear what really gets you going, what really you makes you angry about the world, but also what gives you hope. Um, I mean, I'm angry about a lot of things, but I think, you know, on the thread of justice, um, <laughs> I think, I, what I find frustrating is that in a in a lot of places in the world, the outcome of the legal process is so heavily dependent on your socioeconomic status. Um, I find that very difficult. You know, equality before the law is is you know is one thing, but if you know if you, if you can't afford a lawyer and you don't have access to state lawyer, you know you're just you, you just don't have the same rights. You can't exercise those rights. You know that they're, they're meaningless. And that I find I find that very difficult. And that's that's really where, you know, the bail project sort of came from, ensuring that everybody has has, you know, representation. If if they can't access a lawyer, how can we empower them to represent themselves? How can we give them those tools? Yeah. Okay. What gives me hope? What gives me hope? People give me hope, really. I'm referring to prayer again, I'm referring to box and people like that that I've met in Malawi, you know, that have faced huge challenges challenges that I don't think that I would myself be able to to overcome um and they're still positive and they're still hopeful um and it's just about working together about community you know small steps but you know focusing on on something that you're passionate about and yeah I'm grateful every day for my for my relationship with Crea you know as as a charity but also you know they're my friends you know I you know I love them and they have changed changed my life completely, uh, and they're an inspiration to me, really. So they they make me make me hopeful, really. Amazing, people listening, they might be young Charlotte McKenzies that are just <laughs> studying law somewhere in the UK and thinking, well, I I want to do something with my life. I want to have an impact. I'm not sure I want to apply all this knowledge purely in the defence of. I don't know, some sort of corporate law or housing law, I'm not saying those aren't very worthy causes, but they wanna they wanna see something, maybe a, a more of an immediate impact on the world of justice and, and, and helping human beings around the world. Uh, how how can they come and find out more about you guys and, and how can we support you? It means what you're doing is amazing. And oh I'm so I'm so inspired by by what you're doing, as will many people be who are listening. So how how can we back you up? Yeah, get in touch. I mean, we see our website, Instagram, Twitter, you know, email, whatever, just get get in touch. Because, um, I mean, we had somebody last week who got in touch who happened to be in 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 Blantar in Malawi, heard about our project. He's a barrister from, from the UK or training to be a barrister. Um, and yeah, he just, he sent an email and, you know, next week he was shadowing Sapiwe, who's, you know, our project supervisor um, uh, and showing him about the, the project. So um, there's, there's, there's work in Malawi to be done, you know, with Crea, um, but also in the UK. I'm I'm always happy to, you know, speak to any any 
one who's interested in either Malawi in, in human rights, but also, you know, I'm a family barrister, uh, 42 Bedford Road Chambers, and, and um, I'm, I'm always happy to sort of mentor or speak to anyone who's interested in the law. So, yeah, get in, get in touch. And if someone wants to donate to to you guys, how do they do that? And maybe give us an idea of how you would use that money. Yeah, um, so you can donate via uh, our website, via Facebook, via Instagram. We we do rely on sort of monthly donations from from donors uh, and then sort of trusts and foundations that we make applications to. So uh, you know, to give you an idea, it, it costs a pound for us to print a booklet. So, you know, 10 pounds is 10 booklets. And, you know, that's not just read by 10 people. You know, it's probably read by, you know, 50 people, 100 people, because those booklets will just stay in circulation. So that's, you know, that even, you know, small donations are really, really great for us. Um, A camp court to run one camp court where, as I say, 15 to 20 bail applications can be heard. um, That costs us about 150 pounds. Um, so, you know, what price would you put on your liberty, I guess, is, is, is the question, really. You know, £150, that's probably 15 people being released from prison you know, that day. It's instant, it's instant, you know, action. Um, and I think it's relatively low cost for, for high impact when we're talking mm. about people's liberty. So, um, yeah, we're very grateful for any, any donations. If someone was, let's say, take that second example, if they were to go, you know what, boom. I'm going to take my birthday present or Christmas present or whatever bit of savings and I'm going to sponsor a camp court. Do they have any opportunity to, to, to know that actually you funded this one we held last week and this so-and-so and as a consequence, seven people are no longer being held in, in just inhumane conditions in pre-trial detention. Is that, is that possible? Can you pass that sort of information? Yeah, on? yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, we, we will, yeah, we'll give, we, we always sort of pass on, um, you know, the details of who, who's been released, the sorts of, you know, cases that were heard. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Like you say, like from a return on investment point of view, what an amazing thing to do with your money. Charlotte, thanks so much for spending some time with me this morning. I know you're a super busy and very impressive woman and mum, and you have lots of demands on your time. So thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. I often say at the end that if you know of any person or project that we should feature on the Justice and Copy podcast, then please get in touch. And that's exactly what happened here. Charlotte was a listener and reached out to introduce herself, and I'm so glad that she did. It is such a joy and a privilege for us to meet people like Charlotte and hear their stories. You can find out more about the Malawi Bail Project by visiting their website, www.malawibailproject.com. Perhaps you're a budding barrister looking for legal experience. Why not reach out to Charlotte and her team or her colleagues at Crea? I've put a link in the show notes for both of their websites. You may be a student considering a future career in the law, and I'm sure there are very many good reasons why you may choose to work in negotiating property ownership rights or dealing with trademark infringements. It really is all necessary stuff. But perhaps you may first decide to have a crack at releasing people around the world wrongfully held in pre-trial detention, often until a premature death from a preventable disease. How about that for a calling? And for those of you who aren't budding lawyers to be, Perhaps you'd like to give a donation and sponsor a camp court. What a fabulous thing to do with your money. 
This podcast was produced by Blue Bear Coffee Company. You can buy a subscription of ethically sourced specialty coffee from us and know that we use our profits to support and equip survivors of abuse, sexual exploitation and trafficking. Go to bluebearcoffee.com to find out more and load up on coffee. Thank you once again for listening. Speak soon. Peace.